Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hello, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass and long time no see. Um, About five weeks ago, I had ankle surgery, and so I'm still hobbling around on this. And then um, about two weeks into my recovery, in spite of being vaccinated um, and in spite of being quarantined, uh, COVID got into our house. And so my whole family has had COVID. Um, Terry and I had the worst of it, and we are still on the back end recovery. And so it has been, it's been a really, really fun five weeks. I highly recommend that you try having ankle surgery and then catching a really bad case of COVID. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Anyway, I'm really glad to be back here and talking to you. Uh, And uh, without further ado, let's go. So if you are connected on social media at all, or if you are under 30, you probably have a few favorite accounts that you follow, who people whose content that you enjoy online. Now, my favorites are almost all on TikTok, and one of them is this guy called Not Clay. Now, I don't know what it is about this dude, but he makes funny videos that always make me laugh every time I see him. At least they always made me laugh until he got real one time. You see, in between the videos of him doing the like funny duets with people that he would post, He posted an out-of-character video talking about his mental health. Now, all the time that he had been making videos that were making me laugh, he was also struggling with depression and anxiety. So much so that he had to go to to an outpatient treatment center. And when I saw that video where he got real, it gave me a whole new perspective on his life and on who he really is. Because before he was just a character on the internet, But now I can see and I can understand that his life has depth and challenges that go beyond being funny on TikTok. His videos mean something different to me now that I have a better understanding of his actual story. And people are like that. It's easy to categorize them or put them in a a box until you know more about them, until you know their story. And the story of Jesus' birth is no different. If you're like me, you've heard the Christmas story so many times that it almost becomes like a fairy tale. You know, something that just is just a story we repeat every year rather than an event that happened in the lives of real people with real personal meaning to them. And so today I want to talk about some of the real people in the Christmas story to give you some real background so that we can have a true understanding of who they were and what their role in that story really means. You might be surprised uh, as to what you can discover about God and his heart for humanity and his heart for you when you uncover the reality of the people who were part of of introducing Jesus to the world. So I'm going to share five things that we can learn about Jesus by understanding and knowing the real people who were part of his story. Just a few of them. So first, let's start with Mary and Joseph. And their story begins in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. And this is what it says. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now this is the familiar Christmas story that we know, right? We know that an angel appeared to Mary and Joseph saying that they would give birth to the Son of God. And they were like, awesome! You know, this is the coolest thing ever. 
And then everything was beautiful, but it actually wasn't. I mean, check this out. Mary and Joseph, they weren't married yet. They were engaged. And that means this, that Mary became visibly pregnant before she was married. And everyone around her could see it and knew it. Now, this may not be such a big deal in our culture today, but for a woman to get pregnant out of wedlock back then was a huge deal. It would bring massive amounts of shame and judgment because it was basically a big public declaration that this woman is a sinner and a sexual sinner. And that sin would follow her and her child for the rest of their lives. That's exactly why Joseph contemplated ending their engagement, because breaking off the marriage seemed like to him, the best way to keep the shame and judgment at a minimum and to keep things quiet. The story continues. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> so there is something about this that I want to point out here. Okay, Joseph was keenly aware of the perception that people would have about them, that either Joseph and Mary had had sex before marriage, or that Mary had been with someone else. And then this angel who, who appeared to him was like, Joseph, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. But this raises a question for me, because this was God's call, right? And, and so I would say, why did God choose to bring Jesus into the world under a cloud of perceived sexual sin? I mean, people would always question whether Joseph was his real father, whether Mary had cheated on him, or if they had had sinful sex outside of marriage. So why did God do it that way? Couldn't, couldn't Jesus have been conceived by the Holy Spirit on their wedding night without them doing it? I mean, why didn't God just adjust the timetable of all this in such a way as to let Mary and Joseph keep their reputations to remove the doubt? And I think that the answer to this is found in our very first takeaway, and that's this. It's that Jesus comes to those who are spiritually marginalized. What's crazy about this is that the very way that Jesus came into their lives is the very thing that caused them to look like sinners. And with that perception of sinfulness comes shame and judgment, which is exactly what Joseph was afraid of. The very way Jesus came into their lives caused them to be spiritually marginalized by the people who could only see their perceived sin. But that's okay, because Jesus comes to those who are spiritually marginalized. And spiritually marginalized people have always been around. They are the people who, it's okay if they can... They take a seat in your church, but they, they can't do anything else because there's something that's so wrong with them that religious people think that they need to be contained at the edges of church life to keep them from tainting anyone else. I mean, just in the la think of the last hundred years of church history, okay? In the last hundred years of church history, we've seen all kinds of people be spiritually marginalized. We have men whose hair was too long, women who wore pants instead of skirts or dresses, people in interracial relationships, people who've been divorced, people who were attracted to the same sex. And now with deconstruction happening, we have people who are being spiritually marginalized who have questions, questions that challenge traditional orthodoxy. I mean, in high school, I saw a dude removed from church because he had a hat on one time. All of these people 
were restricted from full access in the spiritual life and community of the church because of, of either real or perceived sin. And yet Jesus, in his very birth, shows God's heart for people who have been spiritually marginalized. He loves them, he includes them, and he pursues them. So next, we've seen Mary and Joseph. Let's take a look at what we can learn from the shepherds. We, we can look at them in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So again, we have a familiar story, but it's one that can change a little bit when you know some background. Shepherds in first century Palestine were not well respected. That's kind of an understatement. Shepherds were looked at as the lowest of the low class, dirt bags. I mean, just by virtue of what they did for their job, they were considered sinners to good religious Jews. Shepherds couldn't testify in court because they were thought to be so untrustworthy. In fact, in Judaism's written record of the oral law that they shared, it's called the Mishnah. It referred to shepherds as quote-unquote incompetent and said that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who had fallen into a pit. Shepherds did not fit in to good society, which leads us to our second takeaway. And it's this, Jesus comes to those who are socially excluded. Of all the people the angels could have announced the arrival of Jesus to, they showed up to the most powerless, to those who were the most reviled and excluded from society, to those who bore the weight of their culture's unjust prejudices and bias. Jesus comes to those who have been excluded from the good and regular circles of society, the poor, the homeless, the downtrodden, the people who the world thinks has nothing to offer. And check this out in Luke 2, 17. After seeing him, after the shepherds saw Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Okay, get this. Not only did Jesus come to the shepherds, but they were the first to announce his birth to the world. People who couldn't legally testify in court were the people who God chose to testify to the coming of Jesus because Jesus comes to those that society has excluded. And finally, I wanna take a look at a couple who are a lesser known part of the Christmas story. You may not even, this may not be familiar to you. We're gonna look at Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter one, verse five. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Yet they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. To, to be childless in ancient Jewish, cult, Jewish culture and to be old and child, childless in ancient Jewish culture was to be considered cursed by God. Children in that culture were everything. A, a child was someone who could inherit, someone to carry on your family name, someone to care for you in your old age, things that were important back then. 
Not having a children was the death of your family line, and it was a horrible circumstance to find your in, find yourself in. And that's where Zechariah and Elizabeth were. Continues, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, just like to the shepherds, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him John. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So you might be asking, how, this, how does this fit into the Christmas story? Well, it's almost the prequel to the Christmas story because Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. And Elizabeth and Zechariah would, would be mother and father to John the Baptist, who would prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And in echoes of the angel appearing to Mary and Joseph, an angel also appears to Zechariah in order to prepare for Jesus' coming. Story continues. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. Now, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had some really bad circumstances. No one had hurt them or shamed them. I mean, it was just a matter of life not delivering for them what they had hoped. Which leads us to our third takeaway. Jesus comes to those in broken circumstances. You may know what this is like. It's the medical diagnosis you didn't expect and you definitely don't want. It's the job that you lost or the unexpected bill you can't afford. It's a child being removed from your home because the parents aren't equipped to give them the care they need. And it's into these impossible broken circumstances that Jesus comes in with a message of hope. It's a message of hope for those who are spiritually marginalized, for those who are socially excluded, and for those who are in broken, broken circumstances. And the hope is this. We find it in Galatians chapter 4. In verse 4 it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. The message of hope we find when we really understand the people who actually lived out the Christmas story is that Jesus comes to adopt each of us into his family. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your real or perceived sin might be, what prejudices other people might have about you, or even what difficult circumstances you are in. Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he came to invite you into a transformed relationship with him. A family relationship, a relationship of belonging and acceptance, of unconditional and selfless love. Jesus went to people who were spiritually marginalized. He came for those who were socially excluded and who are experiencing difficult and broken life circumstances. And Jesus came to adopt each of them and each of us into his family. And then finally, he calls us to do the same. And our last thing, do what Jesus did. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. All of this is why the foster tree and our church's involvement in supporting foster care is so important. It's about caring for children and adults who've been marginalized and excluded in our culture through no fault of their own. They are living through broken circumstances of abuse and neglect, and they've literally experienced the feeling of being excluded from their own families and have had to live as modern-day orphans, really just wanting nothing more than a family to be a part of where they can feel safe, loved, and cared for. So let's do what Jesus did. Let's embrace those who've been spiritually marginalized because of real or perceived sinfulness. Let's lift up those who have been socially excluded because of the prejudice or bias that exists in our culture. Let's care for those who are walking through really difficult circumstances. And let's be willing and ready to welcome people and children into our lives like they had been adopted into our family. Because in Jesus, they have been adopted into our family. The foster tree is just our opportunity to live out the love of Jesus to children who have honestly been spiritually marginalized, who have been socially excluded, who are going through really difficult circumstances. And like Jesus, it's our opportunity to in invite them into our families. So I would encourage you as we celebrate the gifts that we've been able to purchase for these kids at this time of year, let's step out of this time of year and let's consider how we can continue to live and to be Jesus to this community of people. To how we can find ways to make sure they know and they feel the love that comes from true adoption into a family that sees them and cares for them. Thank you so much for joining me. I really hope you got something out of this that you can carry into the Christmas season. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. Compass.